Welcome to Pastrami Agogo and other ride tales of the city. I'm your host, Arlene Shulman, and in this episode, we take a look at the world of children's book author and educator, Anthony Tucker. Anthony is the author of Tied In, a children's book that encourages kids, and even a few of us out of that age range, to explore their creativity. Tied In was written by Anthony, a father of three who lives and works in the Bronx as an assistant principal of a public school, and vividly illustrated by Charlene Mosley. Interestingly enough, the two of them have never met, but they forge a creative collaboration through emails. She brings his story of young Tucky, who finds creative uses for his father's ties, to the reader in cheerful watercolors that take you through little Tucky's adventures. Now, Little Tucky, the subject of the story, is African-American, as are Anthony Tucker and Charlie Mosley, which we really should see more often in the literary world. And the story of imagination is a universal one. To get us started, we have Logan, who will be reading excerpts from the book Tied In, which, by the way, is available on Amazon, where you can order a copy for yourself. One day, Little Tucky found a strange piece of cloth. Not knowing what it was, he decided to explore the possibilities with his imagination. Illustrator Charlene Mosley takes Anthony Tucker's words and defines the character through colors and shapes for the young reader. It's about a boy who finds a piece of fabric and then his imagination just goes wild. He has no idea what it is, but he finds so many things it could be and just spends the greatest day with it and probably, I don't know, than, than with his regular toys. And um, then finally he finds out what it actually is. And um, I should, I'm, I'm probably spoiling, but it's a tie, as, as the title already says. And then um, he... For his father, it's just something very simple that he uses for work, but for him, in the end, he'll just see that it is something way more of significance to this little boy. And so when I read that script, I was just in love with the story and the fact that the book is at the same time educational and has a little bit of a description on how to tie a tie. That's when little Tucky noticed a, a piece of cloth hanging around Dad's neck. There's my lasso, my ladder, my tightrope, my black belt, and my fishing rod, he said. Holding the tie, his dad asked, do you mean this? He chuckled and said, but it's just a tie. But I kind of wanted to keep it somewhat simplistic, but still give it enough body to be uh, on the creative side of things. So I chose watercolors. I love watercolors for illustrating children's books anyways because you can do so many things technique-wise, texture-wise. You can make it simple or complicated. So there are so many possibilities. And I think that's just how children can be. Um, so I think it's a good combination. And, yeah, my color palette just kind of came to me as I read the story. Images kind of just happen. And... Um, I guess it's more of a feeling thing while I'm illustrating, how I connect to the story and what I see when I read it in my mind. Anthony Tucker, author, grade school principal, husband, and father, explains the importance of seeing people like yourself in books. So you've written a book about a little boy, a, a young boy of color, 
who finds a tie and uses his imagination to play with it, to invent. How did you come to use a tie as a subject matter? Uh, the way that I came up with the idea to use this, this tie as this uh, symbolic object inside of a book, I was uh, thinking about p putting on an event for um, my community. It was like a young men, um, young adult event where, because this was this was thought about when there was like a, a rash of like uh, shootings in East Harlem, and I was just sick and tired of like hearing all of the negative things that are, are coming out of the place where I grew up, and I wanted to do something that that was uplifting and um, educational, and something that would contribute to starting change and, and positivity and this event was going to be um suit up don't shoot up where um gentlemen you know they dress up because typically like that's something that we don't normally do you know um not that it's required but you know it's good to have that in your your repertoire you know you may one day need to go shopping for uh high school graduation and you need to know your your measurements so this event I was going to put on was going to have different vendors such as tailors who would give uh, the young men and adults the, their measurements so that when they go to an actual shop to purchase things, they know exactly what they're looking for. Or if they wanted to um, perform that uh, a measurement on themselves, they know exactly where to start and, and how that would, would look at the end. And then surprising, like, and I'm also going to have like a, a tie stand where someone is teaching them how to tie a simple knot, or maybe take it a step further for the ones who know how to tie a simple knot. Maybe teach them a different way to tie a knot because, again, you know, that expression, you know, can can be, uh, um, I guess, personal to anyone. You may want to change up your style. And surprisingly, I learned that there was a, a ton of individuals who don't know how to tie a necktie. So. The idea came from from that thinking about that event, and one day I was, I guess, dreaming and woke up at three o'clock in the morning and said, you know, how about I write a story about a tie? And then I immediately blew it off and said, no, nah, that that would be ridiculous because again, if I was to teach someone how to uh, tie a necktie, it would take me like one minute, so that wouldn't be a story there. So then I thought about relating it to what I currently do, work in early childhood. And seeing um, how kids make meaning of the world through through their play and creativity, I figured why not infuse that aspect into the book, and this is how I came up with the story. So, having the uh, the imaginative uh, part there, you know, in the end, also teaching someone how to tie a necktie, I just felt that it worked well, and that's typically how I came up with the with the idea for having this necktie as a symbolic um, object inside of the, the story. Did you hold that event? I didn't actually. Uh, I tried to partner with uh, a f couple of organizations and a, and a few people that I, I knew from my neighborhood but at the time they were also working on a lot of uh, different events themselves so it was hard for us to really coordinate and get on the same page but it's still something that I plan to do hopefully in the future you know in the near future hopefully 
you know. Where in East Harlem did you grow up? I grew up on 112th and Lexington Avenue, which is it's called El Barrio, actually. I'm surprised I don't know how to speak Spanish <laughs> because uh, the large majority of uh, people there are Hispanic. But yet, yeah, 112th and Lexington Avenue in a, in a, uh, a housing project uh, called Johnson. So right, right in the, the middle, I guess, of East Harlem. So what was it like growing up there? Uh, for for myself, I think that experience was uh, it was it was rough to say the least. You know, uh, there are things that that I was exposed to uh, that really um, helped me learn, but at the same time could have been really detrimental to my life trajectory. Such as? Such as um, the violence and, and gangs and, and the drugs. You know, I was right in the thick of it. You know, I'm fortunate enough to um, have made it out of there. Well, I still live in the hood, but at the same time, I just don't live in that same neighborhood. But I was fortunate enough to make it out of that, that particular environment or the, from the rose from the negativity without having like this this blemish uh you know on my record or anything like that even having multiple run-ins with with police officers and and things like that but it was I was fortunate enough to not really have anything severe you know and some some of my uh friends closest friends they weren't able to sadly escape that you know like some of them had to do time you know I watched them go in and out of jail you know, and I, I feel like I got lucky because I was engaged in the same activities as they were. You know, um, just, you know, I feel like that experience uh, changed me because I felt like I was a leech in, inside of my neighborhood. You know, this is why I do the, the type of work that I do now is because I felt like I, I owe my community something. Because for years, and I'm talking about since the age 12, like I was really like involved in the street. Like if you were looking for me, you can find me in the street. You know. Um, what were you doing? Uh, I was, <laughs> I was hustling. You know. Um, that was introduced at 12, and I don't think I, I thought that I would ever be where I am now. Because at one point I thought I was going to become a professional drug dealer. You know. But watching how this um, this lifestyle doesn't really help anyone progress and starting at 12 and seeing uh, individuals who are a little bit older than me still in the same place, you know, years later, you know, really um, was a rude awakening for me because I felt like that was going to be me, you know, because they didn't amount to anything and they started a little bit earlier than I had you know it was the question of uh you know will I get locked up or or will I be dead was always in the in the back of my mind you know even while I was doing it but I felt like I had to for for survival you know I mean even though my mom was was around you know but she was also dealing with her own issues you know and I was just trying to make sure that I I didn't um put extra stressed onto an already stressful situation for her even though it's again it's not her fault or I don't I don't blame anybody who who's involved in things like that because it's it's definitely a a higher power that's working against these particular communities and I felt like if I was exposed to something else then probably I would have 
eventually been or doing something other than what I was engaged in for, for maybe 10 years of my life, you know, and this was something that everybody was, was engaged in, you know, so it wasn't as if I was trying to set myself aside and just doing this uh, particular activity, you know, because I wanted to be different, but I did it because it was what everybody else was doing. And just every day, 24-7, but I felt like I had the freedom to to be who I was, you know, and I felt like nobody can was able to, to control my life. So this was this was a large part of why I did it. You know, I really didn't have a a job, you know, for those particular years of my life. So with no experience, you know, even though I was at the same time I was doing these illegal things, I was always thinking about where do I actually see myself, you know, after this or wow, this is happening, you know. So I was always involved in something that was to better myself, you know. So I was uh trying to uh get my barber's license because I figured eventually maybe one day I'm going to stop and then I can just get a job as a barber. You know, sadly that didn't work out because I I wasn't passionate about it. Uh but throughout the time that I was I was on the street hustling, like I was in school, Unfortunately, I dropped out of high school, but then eventually I managed to um, get my high school diploma through some homeschool training program that they sent me work, and I completed the work, and and that's how I got my high school diploma. But I think, you know, if if I wasn't involved in 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 the streets, then I probably would have been more dedicated to to school um, and not having like positive role models really like really put a damper on things. So the only thing that I seen was um, people being successful were like rappers and, and basketball players, you know. I mean, so of course, you know, I'm I'm inclined to like have this um, passion for, for basketball or becoming a rapper because those are the only things that we see as someone becoming successful. So that becomes ingrained in your brain and you start thinking that, hey, you know, if everybody who looks like me, you know, are moving up or stepping up um in 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 levels are basketball players and you know entertainers and that's probably what's in line for me. But aside from that, like I really hadn't had or seen any role models besides like those particular individuals. So, I mean, it was really rough, you know, seeing people die, you know, from how how did they die? Uh, from gun violence, you know, which was which was a, a big issue, and it's still a big issue now. But uh, you know, I'm just fortunate enough to have found a way to eliminate that negative uh, aspect. But I, I definitely used it as a, as a, a, a driving mechanism to to push me in the direction that I gone now. You know, I remember when I was hustling, like I, I started to go to um a community college and I used some of the money from, you know, what what I made on the street to to fund some of my education, which was a, a great thing. You know? And I and I'm happy that I had taken the, the um the time to start something early on you know, or while I was doing that because I feel like that set me up to be in a particular 
predicament that I'm in now, which is great. And not many of my um, closest friends or, or friends in my outer circle, had they hadn't done that. And they feel like they've wasted so much time, you know. But I tell them all the time, you know, I mean, they're, they're proud of what I'm doing now. But I tell them as well that it's never too late. Like, even though you didn't start when I did, you can still you know, make a, a, a huge uh, change in your life and, and can go on to impact the world still. You know, it doesn't have to be when I decided to do it. You know, you're, you're just realizing that now, which is a great thing. So this is where your, your starting point is. You're listening to Pastrami Agogo and other ride tales of the city. For me, uh, I think that I, I found my outlets in other areas such as I was really um, like passionate about riding BMX bikes so that's this was um, something like any type of extreme sport um, that's something that I, I was involved in like skateboarding and, and rollerblading like those things really um, like gave me this 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 deep adrenaline or you know I just felt like you know, this is something I can do aside from playing basketball. Even though, I, you know, basketball was something that I was great at, but I, I just didn't want to be put inside of that, that box that, you know, that you're, you're going to be a basketball player. So I eventually started to do other things, you know, that I, I pushed myself toward doing, you know, even though I didn't necessarily see other people who were involved in these activities. I just decided that, hey, you know, this is something that I, I want to do. But I... I definitely think that there needs to be more um, celebrations outside of um, the basketball and the entertainment world. You know, we should celebrate, you know, just a, a plain old occupation, you know, and then televise it. That way, you know, kids who are growing up can see that, hey, you know, maybe it's not a basketball player or, or an entertainer, but it can be this doctor because, look, they're, they're getting awards for, for, for their work. Which, which is important. I think more celebrations of, of those normal occupations because eventually that's what some people will end up doing in the future as opposed to becoming a, an entertainer or a basketball player, which is a really slim margin, and a lot of people don't realize that. You know, it's great to do those things as a hobby, but, you know, if you're, you're really not skilled at it, you know, it's it's important for you to find other avenues to to place that energy because you know you never know what you can do if you if you've never tried it. And I feel like some people don't want to step outside of the box because then they'll be looked at as as weird or, or abnormal, which is is okay. You know. Well, sometimes when it comes to sports or modeling, it's genetics. Exactly. And that's, you, you can't fight that. You You're can't. not going to go from five two to exactly. you know, six feet five. It's yeah. a little, little tough. Yeah. And I just wish people put more effort into, you know, finding out the, the, the things that they're, they're good at aside from, you know, the, the sports or the entertainment aspect because there are things that, that everybody... Um, has that 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 are that is great you know and they just need to find and, and direct that energy towards those particular areas but now as someone who's a father who celebrates fatherhood who engages fathers in in your the reading and coming into the classroom where was your father growing up uh for me i mean he was definitely absent 
but there were times where I did see, I know of him, you know, there were times when he was around, but he too was, um, like, absorbed by the street life, so he was in, engaged in, in drug activity, uh, in and out of jail, you know, I've seen him on just random occasions, you know, when I was younger, you know, maybe between the ages of, uh, six and, and eight maybe like I've probably seen him maybe twice or, or so um, but I think that you know I'm I don't hold any grudges you know because again everybody may be going through their own issues that it was probably best for for them to exit a particular situation you know especially if they're not um, well enough you know, mentally, physically, in order to 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 take care of certain responsibilities, but I feel like it's definitely um, it it definitely had an effect on me, and I want to make sure that um, you know that that doesn't continue to be a cycle. So this is why I stress the importance of like involving dads in, in school or trying to be a myself or a role model for other kids to to follow. You know, even though there are, there are issues that you know may deter them from from handling their responsibility but it's all about you know making the 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 right decisions and thinking things through before um getting involved in, in certain circumstances that way they 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 can have the the tools and and strategies you know necessary to to kind of avoid certain situations but um i mean dads you know it's 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 that that it's like the, that old cliche, like, you know, they try to say that, 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 um, I guess men of color are not typically there, but I think they are, you know, I've, I, I know a bunch of friends who, whose father was around, you know, which is great, you know, I don't know if that necessarily, um, changes or changed our, um, outcomes, but at the same time, I, I feel like it, it, um, it definitely plays a huge role in, and the way kids or young kids go through life, you know, they definitely need that that male role model to to show them things that that maybe their their mom or their grandmother can't show them, and that's 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 okay, you know, because there are things that they can't teach them, you know. So it's it's important to to have that that father figure, you know, or male figure or male role model in someone's life. Like so many of us. Anthony Tucker's path to teaching and writing wasn't a straight one. What was that turning point for you? Was there one incident or was it more of a gradual process where you decided to go into education and to, to move on with your life in a different direction? I think uh, it was gradual, you know. But there were there were times where I've been in certain situations, so sitting in, in a precinct for for um 24 hours you know that kind of changed my my outlook you know or that that was a pivotal moment but then as soon as i um i'm released you know i go back to, to thinking the other way but when i'm you know in sitting inside of that that jail cell you know you you start to think and you start to ponder and come up with all of these uh ways that you're going to improve yourself when once you're out but then once you're out you know you're back into an environment where you know the things are still happening you know the world is still moving so what are you going to do 
So I think it was gradual. Um, definitely. I started out um, my uh, academic career in, uh, in business um, information systems because I thought that computers, you know, was going to be the most lucrative for me, you know, to or just I'll be successful or make a lot of money if I worked in computers. That was my whole idea and as to why I went back to um to pursue higher education. But somewhere along the line, you know, I lost interest. I mean, I still like computers, but I'm just not passionate that that was something that I wanted to see myself doing day in and day out. And I felt that, you know, if I didn't love it, because I know that I've had um, jobs for maybe three months and I would quit because, again, I wasn't fully invested and I'd rather someone else take my position than continue to hold a position that I, I loathe. So... I just I gave things up, you know, really, really quickly. And somewhere along the line, when I was getting my bachelor's, you know, I was in, I had this encounter with one professor who was a male and he was just rambling on and on. This was a business class. And he mentioned something about there not being a, a lot of males who are in education. So if if you're a male and you're listening to me right now, you know, maybe you should think about that. <laughs> and I started to laugh in my head because, again, I was like, but I'm like maybe two semesters away from graduating with a with a, a bachelor's in business administration. And he's talking about going into teaching. <laughs> and at the same time, uh, this was this was maybe in 2007 because I graduated in 2008. Uh from where? From uh, Lehman College. Okay. So I, like my entire um, higher education or academic career was, was based in here in the Bronx. I went to Bronx Community College, then after that Lehman College, where during that time, like I had stopped um, like hustling and, and being on the streets maybe around age 21. And that's when I started to search for like a, a job, you know. Um, I learned how to swim like in summer camps and the boys club and things like that and I figured you know why not um, be a lifeguard maybe I, I can do that and so I started to work as a lifeguard and the first job that I got as a lifeguard was in this um, this health club on 72nd and uh, Broadway and I met a, a gentleman who who managed that that health club along with other um, locations throughout the city and he wanted me to move from that health club to um, Teachers College, you know, which is interesting because I go on to become a teacher and I was working in Teachers College as a lifeguard, you know, and a swimming instructor eventually after that. So I went to Teachers College. I liked it. I liked that better than being at the health club because I got to interact with um, more people at the health club. It was just mainly residents and nobody rarely used the pool. So I would just sit there um, watching or guarding the water. <laughs> and, and this one lady who would come use the hot tub early in the morning and she was like this opera singer. You know, that was like the highlights of my, my day was just hearing her practice inside of the hot tub. That was it from 5.30 to 6.00. And then the rest of the day, it was just quiet, <laughs> you know. And I would I would actually sleep inside of the locker room 
you know, because no one came. No one used the pool. It was like this fantastic pool inside of this residential building, and nobody used the pool. Wow. Yeah, and this one day, I was this. I couldn't. I couldn't um, help it. I had to sleep, and I was sleeping in a locker room because no one used the pool throughout my shift. And someone wanted to use the pool, and they were looking for me, and I had locked the door. <laughs> they couldn't use the pool, and so finally. Um, the custodian found me <laughs> and was like, hey, they're, they're really upset at you because you're not around. But then after that, I went to a teacher's college where it was uh, a lot more patrons, uh, families, and things like that. I got to interact with, with um, pre-service teachers who are, who are in teacher's college because they were the ones who were giving the, given the lifeguard jobs before anybody else outside. So I was fortunate enough to be able to... Um, work for this gentleman who who brought me on board which was great because I I got to interact with um those pre-service teachers and learn a lot and they they also inspired me to um pursue this teaching career even though I was in school <laughs> for business administration you know eventually I you know I changed careers because I found that there is alternatives out there and that really helped um me get to where I am now you know just talking to those pre-service teachers, um, listening to this professor speak, and not only that, but seeing ads like on, on train stations and things like that, that from, I guess, some of the um, organizations that are out there that, that provide like alternative paths to, um, to teaching if you hadn't um, majored in that in, in school. And just gradually, you know, I just kind of took myself away from from um the the street life and started to move into like becoming a, a productive citizen but it's it's really all influential the things that that are that were in my environment if there was nothing positive then what do you you can't you you can't expect me to grow up and, and be something positive if everything inside of my neighborhood is negative which is it hurts, you know, because again, you you want to change so much, but then there's no resources in order to help you change. If there were resources, the resources were always laid out for people who were were like post incarceration. So if you had never been incarcerated, there are no resources for you at all. But they'll give you resources once you come home from jail, and they'll set. But it's it's weird, you know. There should be something that that that's gonna help deter individuals from you know, going to jail. It shouldn't wait until you come out of jail in order to give you all of these these um, resources and things like that. So I feel like it was just gradual. Seeing people in the same place <laughs> so many years, I just felt like, is this how I, I wanted to um, leave my legacy? Do I see myself growing up and still being a, a, a hustler on the street and doing harm to my community? You know, because those things hurt, you know, because again, they they weren't um, healthy for anybody's bodies, and people were consuming these and, and walking around and looking like zombies and, and things like that. It was just, I felt bad, you know, but at the same time, you know, I would tell myself that, that maybe it's okay, you know, because how else am I going to survive? You know, there's nothing else out there for me. That's what I that's what I assumed, and this is how so many other kids probably feel as well. Is that there is no resources for them to to move on. I mean, now we get people who are starting organizations and things like that to help, which is great, you know. But it's sometimes it's not reaching every kid, and we need to be able to reach every kid. 
But at the time that you were growing up there would have been with what year, around what year? Um, from 1994, which was when I, I actually, that was my first encounter with um, with law enforcement and um, the the judicial system, 1994. So from 1994 up until maybe 2002, is is something is when I was like in the thick of it. 1994. That's when I met Judge Judy for the first time. She was a um, family court um, judge, and my brother and I, and a, and a friend of his, uh, we, you know, we did something stupid. Um, I was just there as an accomplice, so that's the reason why I was involved. But seeing Judge Judy, you know, it was. What did you do? It really. Um, well, what did I was just an accomplice. They they say um, that my brother and his friend um, they robbed someone. I was just there, you know. So I was named as a person that was there, but not a person that that was um, that engaged in, in in the robbery. So I was just, you know, named as an accomplice, and I was like, I was on probation for one year at 12 years old. Yeah, that was Judge Judy said. If I ever see you in this courtroom before one year is up, I'm sending you away. And you know that really stuck with me. You know, I remember that, and it was interesting because later on, when she went on to television, and my mom saw her, was like, "This was the judge that that put your brother away." Because my brother, he showed his face within that one year, and she definitely put him away. So he was in and out of jail until about 18. From that that one case, you know, mm -hmm. I think that that really um, does something to a person mentally, you know, and it was just hard for him to 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 separate himself from from that that lifestyle after being incarcerated, you know, at the age of thirteen because he's one year older than me, you know, and just in and out, you know, from that time up until eighteen, like I hadn't really you know seen him like. You know, we would spend so much time together from, you know, birth up until that that point, that particular point in time, you know. Where is he now? Uh, he, he, he lives in another state, yeah. But, you know, it was just hard for him to kick that because, again, it was just when you come home, like you're coming home to an environment that is, that is unhealthy, you know, and lacking those resources again to... Reha rehabilitate people after they've they've come back from that incarceration that that stint you know there's nothing so what are they going to engage in you know and this was something that was hard for for some people to separate if i remember correctly because i when i was in that community um following the, what was happening with mm -hmm. both the precinct and the community what i noticed is like it was very it self was very self contained. Yeah. So if you were in the Johnson houses, you yeah. might have a little war with the, oh, yeah. the 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 gang or the dealers over yeah. at at Carver or wherever oh, yeah. they. Oh yeah. There there were definitely um, but for the for the most part there were um, there were there were like issues with other projects. You know I don't know where that stems from, but I, it seems to be. A generational thing like it's always ongoing you know but at the same time there were also um, friendships and 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 allyships that were built because we all 
went to certain the same school and you know so it's weird that you know even though we we lived in johnson or we lived in a particular area we all went to the same schools and knew each other you know or built these relationships through the schooling system but then outside of school it's like you know we're still you know at war and, and things like that but to the point where you know nobody really had to um to pick up a gun during that 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 time. I mean, we owned guns, but we didn't really have to to pick them up and and, and use them. You know, as opposed to to maybe um, in the 2000s where a lot of kids are, are misguided and that's the the first thing that they they do is pick up the gun, which is 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 crazy in a sense. You know, but if if any shootings really happened, that was just it was rare. You know, it was really rare. At, at during my time, even though we all own guns, like I don't, I don't think that we ever went re resorted to that that particular level of violence, you know, as opposed to um, using our fists and or talking it out beforehand, you know. So I'm fortunate enough to like ha have grown up with people who were really sensible in that in that way, you know, really wanted to um, hash things out, you know, maybe verbally or, or through our fists. How has fatherhood changed you? Uh, I became a father in 2005. I think my first daughter, she's she's 13. Um, I think that, I mean, that, that definitely changes a, a person. Because again, you know, you're no longer living for yourself. And I think I was so selfish, you know, growing up, especially at 12, being introduced to, to, the, to the drug game at 12. And then just moving on, you know, up until the point where I was at 15, I'm running my own business, you know, and being selfish. But now I feel like that fatherhood has made me a, a, a selfless person. Like, I feel like I want to give not only for, for my family, but for other families. And it it opens your eyes, you know, because you, you know that you're no longer living for yourself and you have to make the, the, the right decisions if you want to um, impact your, your, um, your children in a positive way. And I know that I would have not have wanted, to, wanted any of my kids to, to see me engaged in, in this type of activity, you know, because, again, that would influence them to, to possibly engage in those, those type of activities. So I think it has definitely changed me in in, in 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 a major way. So I'm no longer selfish, you know. I'm more towards giving and, and uplifting and and providing these these learning experiences for um, my children. That way, they don't have to go through the same things that I've gone through because I experienced that. Even though there are there are things where I want them to experience in order for them to um to learn from because I can't you know dictate everything that 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 they they're gonna um engage in and not so it's important for them to learn and experience things and and figure out how to um problem solve on, on their own as well you know but if I can prevent them from living a life that I've led then then I, I by all all means I'm going to to try and do that so I feel like I'm I'm definitely um, trying to uh, just provide something 
or be a, a role model in which that they would want to aspire to be. Where was your first teaching job? My first teaching job was here in the South Bronx uh, at a school called PS1. When I initially graduated, um, I was going to take a job in Brooklyn, but it was not going to be a, a, a lead teacher position. And that was just initially, as soon as I, I graduated, that was the first offer that was given to me. But I wanted to give myself time throughout the summer to, to try and, and feel things out. So I, I at the time, I owned a, um, a scooter, a motorized scooter. And I remember having like maybe a stack of resumes underneath the um, the seat's trunk. And I just rode around to all the schools in, in the South Bronx and just dropped off my resume. And surprisingly, someone called me and I came to interview. We really um, shared the same values and, and, and vision. And I landed my first job in the South Bronx. What was it like being one of the few men and one of the few men of color? And what grade was that? Uh... It was fifth grade. I think um, it was really, um, it was funny because I couldn't even convince myself that I'm a teacher. You know, every single day that I walked into the school building, I would say, how the hell am I a teacher? You know, because I think about all of the things that I've done, you know, and and I'm sure some of my friends were was thinking the same thing. Like, how the hell is he a teacher? You know, I was like this this class clown, never really did any work, you know, but I can get the work done if I apply myself, but I was just not invested. You know, I was more along the lines thinking about what's happening outside of school and when can I get there as soon as possible. So for me, like, I still didn't, um, it still didn't register that I was now, you know, in a position to, to impact lives in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a deeper way. And I think for me, it was it was interesting. You know, fifth grade was was a, a great start. That was initially where I saw myself because I felt like I can I can kind of guide um, some of the students who may be on on the, the um, I guess the verge of like moving into um, the tweens and things like that. You know, maybe Dave haven't um, had any positive. Um, things happen in their lives so or they're they're going down a road that that may be um <laughs> filled with with nothing but but negativity like i thought that fifth grade was going to be where i kind of meet them and help them change in, in a sense of now i want to lead, lead a more positive life but sadly i don't think i mean some of them already come in with you know their their own personalities and these huge egos you know so it's really hard to um to get them to to fully change but i was able to plant seeds you know that i think will grow eventually and they'll remember you know that i planted that seed you know even though they 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 didn't change right then and there in front of my face i think that in the long term it will have in, impacted them and as far as being a male, you know, teacher, I would think I was the only, um, the only male teacher of color, a classroom teacher of color within in the school. Um, I don't think that 
people who looked at me any um differently not that I, I know of maybe they had uh, you know maybe it was conversations that were being had you know privately but as as far as i remember like i think that that people really um treated me well and um they gave me the autonomy and the freedom to do what i needed to do in order to um to impact um students lives um i don't think they've ever come to me and and tried to use me as a, a disciplinary because i know that some males of color you know they're working in a school building they usually seek them out to to resolve conflicts between other um students of color which is uh, in a sense like it's it really um downplays their um their capacity and what they're able to do but i've never experienced that but i know others who who have experienced that what was the reaction of the students uh i think most most part they were really excited like all kids since i when i was there all the kids always wanted to um to come to my class i think that they um saw something that that reflected um this relationship that they can relate to i feel like they they really um wanted to um engage and and learn more about me because they probably hadn't ever seen a a a a black male teacher you know I know for me growing up I didn't have one a black male teacher no I'm not growing either. up so you know so again you know if they don't if if kids are not able to to see these things you know through their experiences and in everyday life then there's no way possible that they're going to aspire to be something that they they barely ever see but i think at the same time i think that um some of the students may have looked at me as as not being uh cool enough you know initially but after getting to know me then it's like oh he 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 knows about these things that i that i i know about you know so it it makes me a human being you know that comes from the same environment as uh, as they do and so that that changes after they get to know me but initially you know they definitely think that I'm just a a corny or or weird person because I'm a teacher you know and I don't really get them you know so that that that's interesting to see them you know change and and be like wow you know he's actually a, a cool individual and he's somebody that 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 grew up in an area and environment that the same like like us so you know why why can't we um really engage with this this individual you know on a, on a on a deeper level so i feel like that was important you know like them just seeing and having that that relatability i guess if that's even a word you know <laughs> and what would would the rea- what was the reaction of parents who were who may be so accustomed to yeah i think parents they a lot of parents um they were they were excited to um to have me around because they wanted their their kid to experience this this type of um person as a teacher, you know, a male teacher, a black male teacher and some again for the most part they hadn't had that throughout their entire schooling up until the time that they they've probably come to my class. I think it was it was really um a respect thing and I received like thank yous all the time just for 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 being a teacher, 
you know, which was great, you know, because again, that was really encouraging and it, it helped me, um, do my job, you know, even, even better because that affirmation just, just really sparked something in me that made me feel like I am definitely doing something that that's going to have a, a greater impact on the world. So it was really welcoming from all the parents. And now you're an assistant principal. <laughs> How did that come about and when do we uh, get well. to see you as principal? <laughs> uh, I think my assistant principal at the time, uh, she's always saw something in me. Like she's always saw that I can be a, a leader and and I had leadership qualities. You know, I, I just didn't see it in myself. But she would always know, you know, exactly what particular um, jobs to give me, how to spark um, ideas so I can create initiatives and things like that. And she just she knew exactly how to how to do that. And so she's the one that sort of pushed me into or, or steered me in this di direction, you know, from the, the beginning. So from, from the start of my, my teaching career, she has always supported me, you know, and I, and I thank her for that, that, that support. It, it, it was definitely um, much needed because, again, I felt like I did plateau, you know, being a, a fifth grade teacher for, for, for four years, you know, I felt like I did plateau and she said, you know what, I'm going to nudge you a little bit and here, let's, let's, let's move up a level. Like, let's take this, like, let's get uncomfortable and, you know, and let's challenge you because again, it's, you're, you're never going to stop learning. And she was the one that, that kind of took me under the wing. And as soon as she became principal, she, um, of her own school, she wanted me to be involved, you know, as a leader, but I still didn't see myself. And this is, um, six years, you know, after starting my, my teaching career or five years after starting my teaching, I still didn't see that, that, that leadership quality yet. I still didn't feel it, but she still saw it. And she offered me a, a position, which was, um, to be, to be a leader of, of one of the schools that she was, um, going to be um, the principal of and I initially turned it down because I I just didn't feel like I had the um, the capacity to, to be that that individual you know not at that moment I still didn't see it but she she saw it and then offered it to me and I turned it down but she still wanted me to to work alongside her so I came on as a, um, a music and, and movement teacher you know and Eventually, you know, I started to see the initiatives that I would bring into the school was really changing my, my school community and laying these things out, you know, all the things that I brought to the community or my school community made me realize that these are um, qualities of, of, of good leadership. And so maybe I should move move into that, that, that particular area. And so eventually I decided to go back to school and and pursue uh, leadership and now I'm an assistant principal which is you know still something that I'm in awe about uh, not sure when I'll become a principal not sure but I'm um, that that is definitely something that, that I would want to do uh, still learning 
still um, gathering a, a lot of information about about this profession, but I think when the time is right, um, eventually, you know, <laughs> it'll, it'll happen. You're listening to Pastrami Agogo and other ride tales of the city. Our topic is Tied In, a children's book from Anthony Tucker of the Bronx and his lessons on creativity. But through your own creative process, through initiatives in schools Mm -hmm. and engaging students and engaging parents, you have also written two books, um, the, the Thai book and A Rocky Start. And what in, what inspired you to use your creativity in that way? Uh, for me, it was the first book was A Rocky Start. I think that was inspired by a storytelling celebration at my school that I was teaching in, and which was great. And I decided, you know, I'm going to write a story that, that pertained to myself and I shared the story with, with, with the students and the other staff members, and they were the ones who really said, you know what, this sounds like a, a, it could be a, a, a picture book, and this is where I got the inspiration to do that. I know that for me, my, my um, students always shared their personal stories with me. They would always come to school. I would listen to them talk, you know, some of them owning um stores or going shopping with their family or amusement parks, things like that, you know, just really learning about them, but they hadn't really had a chance to to learn about me. So I wanted to write the story in a way that I introduce myself to them and they, they learn a little bit about my background and the way I grew up, you know, you know, in a sense of through, through, through the lens of this story, which was great. And so that's how I came about writing that story. And I felt like, you know, maybe this could be something that I I can do, you know, to to impact the world again, to show uh, kids, you know, who are growing up in these poor neighborhoods that there are other uh, ways for you to to um, be successful. You know, it's not only through the basketball or the um, the entertainment. You know, and I know for me, I've never um, been visited by an author or a black author in, when I was in school. So, again, I don't even know if they existed. I don't I don't know. So, again, like that was my opportunity for me to show these kids that, well, not these kids, but kids in, in poor neighborhoods, that there is a, an author who, who, who looks like them, and this is something that you can possibly do. Uh, aspire to be one day and in the second book again just just this idea as I explained earlier from it grew from this event into a a children's book and again just wanting to um, present this um, this this work of art or this this body of work or project that influences kids to to think you know a little bit differently about where they they see themselves in life so just to sort of round up um what advice would you give to someone interested in entering the teaching profession someone um, maybe looking to find their way i think um i guess the best advice would be um to really I guess follow your 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 heart and do something that you're you're passionate about. 
you know. But if you're if you're a male um, of color and you're thinking about teaching, I would definitely encourage it because as um, the years go on, like the that that particular percentage it continues to to dwindle, and we need to get those numbers up because again, uh, I think that the change is gonna it's gonna begin with us. And we need more male role models within the school system, definitely in early childhood. Um, there's definitely been a stigma against males working in in early childhood, and that continues to, to um, deter men from the profession. Um, maybe it's not something that's going to um, reward you with um, riches and, and money, you know, but it, it'll be rewarding in a sense that that you're able to um, change lives and 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 save someone, you know, because essentially you are saving lives, you know, by teaching you are definitely saving lives. Uh, so I would just say, really follow your 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 passion, and if this is something that that you are thinking about. Um, just remember that you, you're definitely going to need um, some patience. And you don't normally have to, to go into the classroom in order to to be a teacher. Uh, you can teach in other ways. You can create how-to videos and things like that if you're not going to become a traditional teacher. Um, you can definitely um, inspire through teaching someone about what you may know a lot about and essentially that that's a teacher you know but we definitely need more men in early childhood and i recommend it it's fun come on let me show you how to tie one he added first you you take this long end and then you loop it around this hole and presto but as his dad was teaching him how to tie a necktie. Little Tucky said to himself, it might just be a tie to you, but it's not just a tie to me. Tying a necktie is something that everyone should know to do. Using your imagination to explore the world around you is something you should never stop doing. Thank you for listening to Pastrami Agogo and other Rye Tales of the City. I'm your host, Arlene Shulman. Be sure to tune in again for future episodes and follow Pastrami Agogo on Facebook. Happy listening.